All right, we're going to move into our psalm for this morning. We're continuing through our series in the psalms. And remember, we talked about the psalm book, the Psalter, as it's called, is broken up in actual books. So there's five books of psalms. There's 150 psalms total. And the reason that they were compiled in this way was to kind of give a little bit of a re-narration, a retelling of the scriptures that Israel had at the time, the first five books of our Bible which are called the Pentateuch, or it was all they had of the Torah, God's word. So they broke Psalms up in a simple way because this was during a time Israel was in exile and they were on the run. They could not go back home to Jerusalem. They could not go to the temple, this place where they went to actually learn about God and enter into his presence and get a visual, a beautiful visual picture of the story of God at work in his world. And so they compiled all these Psalms that were written by so many different people, a lot of them by King David, but others, as we're going to see this morning as well. They compiled all these together in such a way that people could recite them, memorize them, and have a sort of virtual temple experience in their minds. They could go back and revisit and go, this is the story of God, and he is still at work in his world. The majority of, of those uh, were written by King David, but the one we're looking at this morning in Psalm 90 was actually written by Moses. And in fact, this is probably the only one, I, I think this is the only one that is officially attributed to Moses. And so they dug in the Wayback Machine and pulled out this psalm and put it here. And it's the start of book four of all five psalm books. And it's a super important one. And it's important for us to see this morning and to remember how God is at work. And so we're going to read that. Psalm 90. While we do that, I'm going to pull this whiteboard over because we're going to try that. Those of you who are sitting on the end, we do have extra chairs. So if you have trouble seeing the whiteboard that's going to be right here, you could move to these spots as well if that's better for you. But let's read Psalm 90. So this is, before I read it, this is a psalm that was written by Moses, kicking off the, the book here, book four of the Psalms, which, by the way, the fourth book in their Torah at that time would have been Numbers. Interestingly enough, we are going to be talking about numbering our lives in this psalm. And that seems to be a theme actually throughout this book four. So you can see how they start to parallel a little bit, which Numbers was also telling the story of Israel's wilderness, their time away in exile in the wilderness, right? The wandering around in that time. And Moses being the one who led them into that the one who was supposed to lead them into the promised land, but never made it out of the wilderness himself. He got to see the promised land, and it got cut short there. So this is a, a very deep and personal song was written earlier. It reflects kind of just what he's gone in his life. And I'm reading in the CSB. Some of you might have the ESV sitting at your tables. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, it says this, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You return mankind to the dust, saying, return, descendants of Adam, for in your sight a thousand years are like yesterday that passes by, like a few hours of the night. You end their lives, they sleep. 
They're like grass that grows in the morning. In the morning, it sprouts and grows. By evening, it withers and dries up. For we are consumed by your anger. We are terrified by your wrath. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days ebb away under your wrath. We end our years like a sigh. Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years as we have seen adversity. Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our ears to receive your word this morning. God, that we would be transformed by you. Lord, we ask that you would do your work in us right here and now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's see. Who's a good artist here? Annabelle, can you draw us a picture of a house right here? That looks great. I love it. Good job. Give Annabelle a hand, you guys. Jonas, with our blue marker, you're going to draw a clock right here. Good job. Perfect. Looks like it's about 6.45, according to that clock. Give Jonas a hand. Avery, on the other side of that, you're going to draw a briefcase for us, okay? The quickest one. Give her a hand, you guys. Well done. Good job, good job, good job. All right, so we have a house, a clock, and a briefcase. Did you guys hear those three things in Psalm 90 already? No? Confusing? I think what I heard in Psalm 90 was Moses talking about home, time, and work. I don't think any of us bring a briefcase anymore, do we? But we're going to, it's the only thing I can think of to be a quick little picture of work for us. Kids, do you ever see your parents carry a briefcase anymore? No. Moses writes about home. He writes about time and he writes about work. Let me tell you what I'm talking about, okay? Let's, let's break this down. So in Psalm 90, the first few verses, we have this, verses one and two. Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. That means a safe place, safe home in every generation. And he says, before the mountains were born, you gave birth to eternity to eternity, you are God. That's already two of them, the first two verses, right? We're going to talk about work at the very end, in the very last verse. 
verse 17. But before I get there, I love just verse one right here. Let's, let's stop and reflect on this for a moment. Moses says this, God, you have been our refuge, our safe place, our safe home for every generation. You guys remember what Moses' life looked like? How was he born? What, what did that look like in the few days of his life? If you remember, at the time, Pharaoh wanted to kill all the firstborn sons of the Jewish people, of the Israelites, because he was afraid that this nation they had enslaved was going to rise up and try to take control back from them. So if they could just take out the firstborn sons, they could try to keep them weak, keep them small. And Moses' mom, by faith, she goes and she puts her baby boy, the firstborn son, in a basket and sets him in the river, the Nile River. So already not off to a great safe start, right? And yet God kept Moses safe as a helpless baby inside this basket in the water. And then this basket, his older sister watches this basket float by, and the daughter of Pharaoh, the one trying to kill him, finds Moses. And you would think, uh-oh, here comes trouble, right? But this daughter, she sees this baby boy, and she has compassion and love, and she wants to raise this boy and bring him into their home. And so Moses actually grows up for like the first 40 years of his life in the safe refuge of Pharaoh's palace. You guys remember what happens next for Moses? Nope, close, almost. He goes out, he sees an Egyptian person treating an Israelite person bad. And what does he do? He gets angry inside, right? And he, he rises up and he fights against the Egyptian guy oppressing his Israel brother. But he kills him. He murders him, which is not okay, right? That, it's terrible. This violence comes out of him. He's not a great guy in that moment, is he? He's a murderer. And he kills this guy, and he realizes, oh, no, I'm in trouble. Because then the next day, he overhears even other Israelite people. They're arguing. He's like, hey, guys, stop arguing. And they're like, what are you going to do, Moses? Are you going to kill us too? So he's like, whoa, even these people who I thought I was trying to protect, they saw what I did, the wickedness I did. I'm not safe here anymore. His safe refuge had been taken away. He could no longer stay in the palace because he would be thrown into prison. And so he takes off, he flees, he runs into the wilderness, into the mountains. And he finds some people there. And he actually, he marries someone and he stays on his father-in-law's farm and he's tending to sheep and animals. And he's there for about 40 years. And so one day, this is out doing his work, and there's this bush. What happens to the bush? You guys remember? Suddenly, it's just it's engulfed in fire, which would be kind of scary at first. It's like, oh, oh man, we got to put this out right before it spreads. But the tree, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually get burnt up. It's staying there. It's healthy. It's fine. And this fire is just like magically around it. And then he hears a voice, the voice of God speaking to him. And so God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want to use you, a murderer, a sinner, someone who's running away and doesn't have his own home. I want to use you to go and set my people free. Go tell Moses to let my people go. And Moses is scared. 
Long story short, though, he ends up doing it with the help of his brother Aaron and with the power of God. And he confronts Pharaoh and through a, a bunch of things we don't have time to talk about today, but you guys remember all the plagues and all that we've talked about before. And then the Red Sea being parted. Israel escapes from Egypt safely across the sea, and then the sea it swallows up the Egyptians who were chasing after them, swallows up their enemies. And so they went across the sea in the safety. And then Moses is supposed to lead them into the promised land, this beautiful land where there would be plenty. Everything they needed would be there, and they would be safe. It would be their refuge, right? But the Israelite people, they start sinning against God. Immediately, they're like, man, I wish we were back in Egypt. It was safer there. Why are we out here in the burning sun? Forgetting how God had just miraculously saved them and brought them across the sea. And then God starts miraculously pouring food from the sky. My kids were just watching Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the series last night. It was like that, only he didn't have this weird contraption to do it. Like God's just like sending bread down from the sky. And it's called manna, which literally means what the? This is incredible. They're getting food, and then they complain about that. They're like, what the? What's up with this bread? I'm tired of bread. I'm tired of this flat bread. And so then he sends this, this crazy amounts of quail that just keep dumping on them. And they're like, okay, okay, that's enough, enough meat. We don't want quail anymore, right? And then they keep worshiping other gods instead of the true God who just saved them. And then they keep getting afraid of these other nations that they come across, not trusting that God would protect them. And then one time they're wondering, like, is God going to provide for us again? And Moses is so angry at them. Remember that the anger that was inside of his heart as a murderer? This anger wells up inside of him again because they're complaining, we don't have water. Where are we going to get water from? And Moses remembers there's one time God told him to strike rock with his staff. And so Moses is mad at these people. He's like, you, you guys, do you already forget? And he just he hits the rock. But here's the thing. He did it out of anger and not out of trust in God. And so God comes to him at one point and he's like, Moses, you weren't listening to me. You weren't following me. I've been leading you through this whole wilderness. And you let your anger rise up and control your actions instead. And because of that, Moses, you are going to lead people into the promised land, but you will not see it yourself. And so Moses sees this land, Canaan. He sees it as an old man, but he doesn't have the strength to go in there. Could you imagine what that's like? And so 40 years growing up in a palace, 40 years in the wilderness, in the mountains, and then 40 years in the wilderness, wondering, are we going to see the promised land? That's what Moses' life looked like. He didn't really have a really good home, did he? But he writes this, Lord, you have been our refuge in every generation. No matter where we've been, no matter who was against us, no matter what place we find ourselves in, you have been our home. You have been our strength. You have been our safe place. You have been our refuge. God, we Welcome to you. Tuesday night, or Tuesday day, uh, my kids came home. They had stayed the night at a friend's. They came home, and immediately they started going to, like, doing, playing other things. And Liam, my youngest, just starts going to video games right away, right? And so I, 
Jonas and Cannon said hi to me. I gave them a hug. And then I was like, hey, Liam. Hello, like, do you see me? Did you miss me at all? And then he's like, oh, and he puts his controller down. And he runs up and he gives me a hug. And he climbs up into my lap and he sits there in my arms. Then, later that same evening, Liam was sitting on the couch, on the arm of the couch, and he fell off. I don't even know how this happened, but he hit his head, like, really hard. And he got hurt, and he was crying, and he was sad. And I was like, oh, Liam, come here. And he cuddled up into my arms again. And I held him there in my arms, and he held on to me. And then later that night, we put them to bed, and I hear more crying, but it's not from Liam this time. Liam had gotten up and just, boom, punched his brother as hard as he could. I still don't know why. So I went in there. I was like, what is going on? And we had this long conversation trying to figure out what happened. And then I sit Liam down, and I'm talking with him. And I got to be honest, I was pretty mad at the moment. So I, I was not just talking with him, right? But we're having this conversation. And here's the deal. You guys have likely already judged me on, like, mask and social media posts. And so I'm just going to go ahead and say what I did next, and you could judge me on that too. But I, I spanked him because I'm like, I got I to gotta help him see this is not okay. And I'm at my wit's end. And so I spank him, and he starts crying. And what does he do next? He climbs up into my arms, and he cuddles with me in my lap, and I hold him there. Three times that day, he ended up in my arms. The safe place for him. One, it was, I love you. I missed you. I'm happy to see you. The other one was, this world hurts sometimes. And I need you to come and save me. And then the last one was, I messed up. And I need you to hold me. Do you guys know that God is our safe place, that we can come into his arms and cuddle with him, that when we are happy, when he's good to us, we get to go and embrace a loving dad, and he embraces us. That when the world is a mess and we feel hurt by it and we don't know what to do, we can go and sit in the arms, the safe refuge of our father. And then even when we sin, even when we get up and just slug our brother for no good reason, even when we think the worst things in our minds, even when we say the worst things out of our mouths, even when we do the worst things or do not do the right things, God is still a father saying, come into my arms. Even when Moses was a murderer, and even when he struck that rock, he still had a safe refuge in God. See, the problem is we had this safety, this safe refuge of home at the very beginning of the story, right? At the very beginning of all things, you guys know our six symbols, how we talk about it. It tells us the story of God, the story of the whole world from creation to full restoration. At the very beginning, God created a good, safe home for his people to live in, and he was there with them. What happens when you leave that home willingly? Tim talked about this last week with the campfire. Do you kids remember that? That if you get away from the campfire, it starts to get darker. It starts to get colder. It starts to get scarier with the animals out there. 
So you can always go back to the campfire. You guys know there's a story kind of like that. It's in Luke 15. It's a story that Jesus told. Some of us have heard it as the parable of the lost son. But it's actually a story about a dad and his home. And the way that he welcomes two of his sons into it. And the way that it's always there available for them. The one son who leaves the home, he goes, I want nothing to do with you, dad. I don't care about you, but give me my inheritance. Give me some stuff so I can go out. And he goes out and he spends all the stuff his dad gave him. And he spends everything he has and he finds himself in a terrible position. He finds himself poor and lonely and hungry and desperate. And so he gets this little job where he can feed the pigs and he just wants to eat the same slop that the pigs are eating. He thought, I'm going to go out with all these riches I get from my dad, and I'm going to have an, an amazing life. But what he failed to do was to recognize his limits, to recognize the time he had. Or as Psalm 90 puts it, as Moses wrote, teach us to number, verse 12, to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. I'm going to get all this stuff, and I'm going to go, I'm going to live a great life. And it went like that. Here's the thing. Even if he held on to all that stuff, his life would have went like that. That's what Psalm 90 says. It says you're like grass that grows, and it looks healthy and green and strong. And then what happens? By nighttime, it dries up. This was like in, in wilderness writing this in, in the hot, scorching sun. We can relate in Phoenix. I cannot keep green grass in my yard. I can keep green weeds for some reason. But not grass. And so it grows green, and then it gets yellow, and then brown, and it dies, and it withers, and it blows away like it was never there. He's saying, this is what your life is like. You guys remember when we went through Ecclesiastes a long time ago? And Ecclesiastes, kids, you were in here one time when we were talking about like, Life is like bubbles, he says. Remember, like we blew the bubbles. You could see the bubble. You could even feel it for a second, but then as soon as you try to grasp it, it's gone. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes kept saying. He's like, life is like that. It's like, no matter what you try to do, you cannot grab a hold of it. So it's all just fleeting. It goes away. I just turned 36 last week. So a week ago from today was my birthday. Some of you said happy birthday. Some of you didn't. That's okay. I know, I know who you are. And uh, I, I turned 36. And my wife did a really good job making it a fun day. My kids did a great job making it a fun day. And then at the end of the day, I went to bed with this song in my head that I just kind of made up. And I don't, I was like, where did that come from? I'm not going to sing it for you. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the lyrics. I'm going to recite the lyrics to you. One of something like this. Birthdays are the worst days because they remind me of my dirt day. I'm going to return to the dirt because that's all I'm worth. I had a great day. I went to bed with that song in my head. No, I'm not going to sing it. But you know what I realized? I was reflecting on a line from Ecclesiastes. And the writer of Ecclesiastes said, it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. 
por examen. Yeah, yeah. So a party, like you're celebrating something that's just going to pass by. But a funeral, you're reflecting on eternity. Good, Ethan. Good. Yeah, this is what Psalm 90 is talking about. Moses is thinking very much like the writer in Ecclesiastes. Number your days and you will be wise. Here's what I did. I, I numbered my days. Um, Did it. Okay. So this is years over here, okay? Years. From zero to what did Moses say? He says, How old do you get? Verse 10 Our lives last 70 years, or if we are strong, 80 years. So I'm going to put um, 80, but I'm just going to kind of let's actually X all that out because it says if you're strong. So I'm going to go, I'm going to live to 70, okay? And if these are weeks over here, then you got like 52 of those. I'm not going to do that, but let's just say it goes like a grid like that. I want to figure out my time. I got to here, halfway, 35. And all of that has been lived already. And then I'm already a week into 36. Went quick. So this is what I have left, right? And I remember somewhere around 16 right here where I started to drive uh, when I was 18 over here for the end of the year is when I graduated high school uh, and I moved out my house. And then at 19, right around the same time the next year, I got married. Still going well. And then when I was 24, I had some kids. Jonas and Cannon were born. And then about 28, Liam was born. It's a lot of life events that have happened during that time. I didn't really talk much about anything before 16 because some of it I've blocked out of my memory. Uh, but a lot has happened in that time. And here's the thing. Oh, by the way, around here is when I lost my hair. Yeah, around 18, 19. Sorry, don't thing. Beard was around sixth grade, by the way. A lot has happened in this time. And it's gone by like that. And that's something, kids, you'll hear old people say all the time. It goes by so fast. It goes by so fast. And you think, like, okay, okay, yeah, whatever. What does that even mean? There's a saying that says the days are long and the years are short. What that means is, like, when you're in it, when you're in the moment, it feels like this is what life is. This is how it's going to be all the time. This is forever. That's why when bad things come to you, you're like, are we going to have to wear masks for the rest of our lives, right? And you forget that things go in seasons. And the years go quick. And the older you get, the quicker they go. Because when you're 10 years old, one year is 10% of your life. That's a big chunk. When you're 36 years old, it's only a 36th of your life. 
and that's a smaller sliver. And 36 is not old, okay, Whether no matter what you guys think right now. Last week when I was in there with the kids, I asked one of the kids, how old do you think I am? And he was like, uh, I don't know. I said, I'm 10. And he goes, oh, okay. And then it took a little while, but one of the other kids was like, wait, I got a brother who's 10. And you look older than him. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I was just kidding. I'm 90. And they're like, okay. It's like, so you don't have a concept over that time. So at 36, I'm not saying I'm old. What I'm saying is I have been able to see more of life and I'm starting to get a little bit of a concept of time. And I'm starting to understand that if this went so quick, I only have half the time left, maybe. That's going to go quick too. What do I do with that time? What do I do with that? It's fleeting. It's like a bubble, blowing bubbles. And you try to catch it and it's gone. It's there. It mattered. The grass was there, it mattered, but it's gone quickly. And so we need to number our days so that we understand how much it matters rightly. Because what happens is we start to think the world revolves around us. We start to think that life is about us and it's about what I'm feeling and I'm experiencing right now. And when other people do things that don't fit in with what I think life should be, it angers me. Can anyone relate? Because isn't this life about me? And you're messing it up for me. But here's the problem. Everybody has that same feeling. What we need is a bigger picture. What we need is someone who sees the story, the whole story. That if we had, oh, it's working good. If we had the timeline of the world up here from creation, all the way to new creation, to restoration. We know that God sits above all of this and he has seen it all and he knows all of it. And I'm somewhere right here, a little blip right there. You guys are about there too. We don't even see all of this scene of the story of God's church from when Jesus rose and sent his spirit to empower us until he returns to make all things right again. And we have the audacity to look at God and go, God, what are you doing? Don't you see what I see? Don't you know what I know? This is how I would do it. Teach us to number our days so that we will see wisely, Moses said. Ecclesiastes, better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Chris Preview. Birthdays are the worst days. Time. It keeps moving. And so this younger son, he left the house and he thought, I got all the money in the world and I got all the time in the world. And both of them are gone like that. And what happens? He decides, I'm going to go back home and see if my dad will let me back in, even just as a servant. And his dad runs out to meet him and he welcomes him in to his arms. He welcomes them into the home. You have a safe place here, a refuge. And his older brother gets mad. and He's like, how could you forgive that guy? How could you throw a party for him and let him back in here? Why are you even glad he's here? And he goes outside to throw his own pity party. And the dad goes out to him too. 
He extends the same arms and the same invitation. Will you come back? The story ends, and we don't know what happens with him, but it's left for us to ask ourselves that question. When God's offering that same invitation to you, will you come home to your refuge, to your safe place, that no matter what's going on in your small years of life, no matter where you find yourself, God in his loving arms, that is your refuge. So the question is to us, will we return? Will we go to his loving arms? There is one more thing up there I wrote. One more picture that Avery drew, work. So you get this picture of like why, what a home and time have to do. And the reality is like when you leave the refuge of God, your days are numbered. They're short. But that God is calling us back and saying, no, welcome back home. But there was work he had to do in order to make that happen, right? Jesus came and he numbered his own days on this earth. And then what did Jesus say when he was done with that work, when he said it is finished? And then he returned and he showed up to his friends after rising from the grave, after defeating death. And he comes back and he goes, hey, I'm going to go away for a little bit. But I'm sending you my spirit to empower you. And I'm going away for a reason. Do you guys remember what that reason is? I'm going to what? Prepare a place for you. To prepare a safe refuge, a home for you. If you remember last week when Anthony was talking and teaching us about the covenant, and in 2 Samuel 7, when God says, hey, David, you're not going to build a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. And then you'll have a descendant who will build a house that will last forever. Jesus comes and he does, he, he meets all that. He builds that safe place for now God and humanity to dwell in again, that we can come back under that same roof, that we can dwell in the safe refuge of God. But it cost him. He came on a mission. He had to do work. Patrick, could you put the First Corinthians scripture up there for me? working. And he sends us his spirit because he invites us into that work too. And this is what I want us to see. Moses ends his psalm with this. Let the favor of the Lord, actually verse 16, sorry, verse 16. Let your work, God, be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. God is at work in his world. He's at work in your life. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be on us, establish for us the work of our hands. He repeats, establish the work of our hands. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 58. It says this, when this corruptible body, you know what he means by that? He means a numbered day's body. He means because of sin, because we've left the safe refuge of God and we rebelled against him, our days became numbered. We became like grass that withers away. It's corrupted and it will die one day. But he says, Paul writes this, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, that means when we come under the safe refuge, dwelling place of God, when we come under this place Jesus is preparing for us, when we are entering into the safe and loving refuge arms of Jesus, we are wrapped up in him. So these mortal bodies that will wither and fade are actually now clothed, covered in, in the safe home of 
Jesus is eternal body. Paul says when that happens, when you're in Christ, then the saying that is written will take place. And this is a saying, death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus' incorruptibility swallowed up your corruption. Jesus' immortality swallowed up your mortality. Jesus' eternity swallowed up your small numbered days. Death has been swallowed up by his victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul says the same thing Moses says. He goes to the same place. He starts talking about work. He says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why does that lead us to work? We had a, a safe home in God. We rebelled against it. and we, we had time limits placed on us. We entered into the corruption of death. Jesus went to work to restore us, to clothe us, to bring us back into the safe refuge of God. But he also has invited us into that work. And Paul sees that and Moses sees that. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. The mission of God has always been the same. God is rescuing you into his home, into his safe, loving arms. And he's also at the same time sending you to go out and invite others into that place. He is calling us to the work of bringing others into the safe refuge, the home, the dwelling place of God, the place Jesus is preparing for us. And there is a time limit on that. There is a time that Jesus is returning. And we in Jesus will dwell eternally in the safe refuge of God with Jesus there at the table with us. But if you are not in Christ, you will wither and fade away like the grass. So may we, in the power of the Spirit, as we are welcomed into the refuge of God, may we enter into the work of inviting others into that same place. Amen?